You're listening to We the Aether Podcast with host Adam Evans, within and without. Welcome. Sage, thanks for taking the time to come on the podcast and have this discussion. Uh, just to kick things off, do you mind just introducing yourself, what it is you do on a day-to-day basis, sort of what you're involved in? Yeah, totally. Thank you for having me. Um, so my name is Sage Dyer. I, uh, I live in New York City. Um, about two years ago, I graduated with a master's in mental health counseling psychology. Um, I intended to use that degree. However, uh, you know, things have turned out a little differently. My husband and I opened a restaurant around the same time that, um, that I graduated with that degree. And it just, the restaurant has kind of taken up most of our time, including mine. So, um, and then uh, about a year ago, I found out I was pregnant a little bit a little surprise. I mean, a little unexpected. So that, that also took things uh, down a different road. So right now I have a four month old um, and that's been incredible and totally unexpected part of my journey at this point. And uh, yeah, so I, we do the restaurant. I'm also writing a book with my sister, Serena. My father was um, Wayne Dyer who, you know, passed away a few years ago and we're writing a book about the, just the experience of losing him and how, you know, it kind of thrusted us into a different place in our life where we, uh, where I I was forced to grow up and, um, and really to apply his teachings in a, in a new and different way. And it's been um, quite an experience. Hmm. So what sparked an interest in getting involved in in, or being a restaurateur? So my husband's family, he's Italian, and they've been in the restaurant business their whole lives. Um, Not their whole lives, but his father, his grandfather, they've all been in the restaurant business. So you know, my husband was working at a hotel and he was unhappy and he, you know, um, just very corporate and just not the life he wanted. So we said, why don't we, you know, we had an opportunity. We found, uh, we knew somebody who was trying to get rid of a restaurant and it was already set up and it was just a good opportunity to jump in and do it. So without a lot of um, hesitation, we jumped right in and, uh, and it's been exciting and fun. I mean, it's a, it's a very social job um and career and business and it's also you know it's very challenging it's very time consuming so it's but i would say it's been a lot of fun it's been a learning experience for sure and what, where is it located i assume new york but whereabouts yeah we live in the city uh the restaurant's in the east village of manhattan okay cool yeah. Yeah, i was in new york uh, a few years ago for work um i stayed in i think it was lower east side yeah that's very nearby like a loft near there. Yeah. A lot of really nice restaurants. I like spent most of my time just walking around and eating. I did like a food tour. For the yeah. Days I was there and then I just came back to Toronto. I'm actually in Toronto, so it's not too far. Okay. Yeah. Quick little one hour and a half flight or something like that. So. Yeah. The East Village and the Lower East Side are really some of the last neighborhoods where you find mostly family owned restaurants, not big corporate restaurants. Um, so yeah, mm. it's a little so more unique. traditional plan or what you had, your, your background is in is it therapy and counseling type of stuff relating to mental health? Yeah, exactly. I have a degree in mental health counseling, so um, which is psychology, but it specifically licenses you to be a counselor. Okay. And what got you started down that path? Did it have to do with your father? Because he seems to somewhat, or it seems to somewhat yeah. be involved in, in that. No, totally. Uh, when I was in college, I was a pre-med, and, um, and I was also a biology major, which usually goes hand in hand. But Um, after about the first year of college, I realized, I learned that you didn't have to be a biology major to be pre-med. And um, so I decided to switch my major to psychology and still complete the pre-med aspect. And I found that 
by the time I was done with my four years, I just was much more interested in the psychology aspect of everything. And so after graduating and sort of meandering for a year, I thought, why don't I, because, you know, uh, a degree in psychology for an undergraduate degree doesn't really license you or enable you to do very much. So I decided to um, move to New York. I was living in Florida, moved to New York and get a master's from NYU doing this. And um, I wanted to, it was also, you know, at that time, my dad was alive and I was uh, bouncing my ideas off of him and of course, he was always the type of parent who said, I can't tell you what to do. You know, you've got to decide for yourself what's right for you. But I saw how his career took off and um, and it started with being a counselor. I mean, he, he got a doctorate in psychology and he started out counseling students, uh, students and then clients afterwards. And um, and I read some of his early books and I thought, you know, this is this is really fascinating to me just helping it's not giving advice it's helping people find their own advice their own truth you know and just really forming a relationship with people which i thought sounded um interesting to me and it excited me mm. and do you find that like what you're doing now especially with, with the course that you're that you're launching or i assume, have you already launched that course the it's like a one week we actually yeah we already concluded it we did uh nice. yeah yeah we, we did it my sister and i did a six week um yeah, I guess you could call it a course. I mean, we just kind of decided to launch this without a lot of structure and um, we had never done something like this before, but we made a couple posts about it on our Facebooks that we were doing a six week course where we would be posting videos each week, just her and I discussing things that we've learned, insights we have, and that we would also interact with the people in the group. It was a private group and it was just such a huge success. Uh, people just we've received so much positive feedback that we're definitely going to do it again and do it more. And, um, it was, yeah, it was great. Do you, do you feel that that's like a full circle coming back to, to getting more involved again with like therapies and psychology in doing these courses? Yeah. Yeah. They're definitely along a similar path. I mean, you know, a lot of the people we didn't, I didn't know that it was going to be that way, but in this group, a lot of the people, uh, sort of treated it like, um, like a counseling type of group, they would ask for advice. And then we would find ourselves in the next video addressing these people's questions and giving them not advice, but just, you know, this is how I see your situation. Maybe this sheds some new light on it for you. And it, it was definitely, it's definitely full circle and it all goes hand in hand. It's all about serving others and um, helping people find their own light. So it, I don't think you have to do that in any specific capacity to be helping and serving other people. Okay, so now your relationship with your father, uh, from what I gather from your post, it, it seemed like you two were, were fairly close. I assume your sister as well. Totally, uh, yeah, all of us. Yeah. I've got seven siblings, so there's there's eight of us all together. I'm the youngest, and we were all wow. very close family. Yeah, eight is a big family. So where about, where did you grow up with eight kids? Um, I grew up in, in South Florida for the most part, but we would spend our summers uh, out in Hawaii as a family. So between Florida and Hawaii. Wow, that's beautiful. Yeah. And, now, was your father running retreats in Hawaii or like seminars and, and doing lectures there at the time? Definitely at times. I mean, probably one to two seminars a year were done in Hawaii, but um, for the most part, he would travel. So they, he would, his tours would be booked in a, like, he would do an East Coast tour. So he'd be gone for a month, you know, and then he'd be home for a month. And then things like that, he would do an Australia tour. He did a lot of Canada tours. Um, was your family often in the spotlight as he would be posting these things? I know he, he would 
generate a lot of buzz, get a lot of attention from what he was doing. And a lot of people, to this day, a lot of people are still very, very much uh, impacted. Their lives are impacted by his words, by his books, by a lot of his work. So, um, yeah, I mean, I get messages from people all the time saying that he changed their lives, which is such a beautiful uh, thing to receive. But um, yeah, we, we were in the spot, you know, growing up, I didn't realize that I, it was you know, in the spotlight, but we were to a degree. I mean, when we were in school, you know, obviously my dad would travel a lot and we wouldn't go, but there was certainly a number of times each year that we were at these events and, um, and I would realize how special my dad was and all these people were there to see him and, and I would feel inspired just sitting in the audience. I mean, anyone who sat in the audience of uh, a talk of my dad's or saw it on recorded, you know, on a recording, I'm sure has felt inspired, but yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I have as well, and that's actually how I came across uh, what you were doing with the the two, two week uh, course or, or six months. Six six months. Yeah. What what is it actually being called? Is it like a call call the course or or a seminar or? We called it a group, is what we called it, but I think a course is a is probably a more appropriate word. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And and you see yourself sort of expanding on that and growing that. Is your sister interested in in, in that to the same degree that you are? Yeah, you know, it was actually her idea. So her and I have done a number of speaking engagements and interviews and stuff together. We also are writing this book together. So she decided to launch this Facebook group um, without consulting me. But then so many people started signing up and she said, you know, this might just be too much for just me. Will you do it with me? And I said, I'll do it with you, but I don't, if I'm going to do it with you, I'm going to do it with you. So we're going to, you know, I want to, I don't want it to be like when you feel like you have nothing to say, I'll, I'll. I'll chime in. I want it to be like, we split it and do this together. So, so, so she said, yeah, that's what she wanted to. And um, yeah, we ended up doing it together. And, and I think we'll definitely do more. We're still sort of decompressing from that group just ended about a week ago. And, uh, and then we're going to, she just got back. We were all out in Hawaii as a family. So we finished the group up out there. I'm back. She just got back. And I think we'll start to talk about, you know, next steps. And people in the group are already asking, when are you, when are you doing another one? When are you doing another one? So we know that there's a desire for sure. Mm, yeah, that seems like it. And yeah. the book that you're working on, is it sort of revolving around the same topic? Does it have to do with um, mental health and, and, you know, awareness? You know, it's really more about our dad and the the process and journey of, you know, him leaving his physical body and just, you know, the, one of the ways that we phrase it, our dad used to talk about how, um, I think it was Carl Jung, uh, studied about how you have the morning of your life, the afternoon of your life and the evening of your life. And then when you're in the morning of your life, you're all of, it's all about your ego and it's your body and it's the way you look and uh, how much money can I accumulate? And it's all surface level. And then at some point you're thrust into the afternoon of your life and um, where you're contemplating deeper meanings and, um, and what am I here for? And what is, you know, what does this mean? And so what we feel like is when we lost our dad, I was certainly in the morning of my life. I mean, I was 25 years old. I was, you know, I cared about partying with my friends and, you know, I just very surface level and um, just normal things for a 25 year old, not, no judgment there, but my dad passed away and it sort of made me start thinking about what is the meaning of life? What are we here for? Um, you know, and I would, and I was searching so much for my dad and missing him in such a deep and profound way that I found myself listening to his uh, recordings and videos and reading his books all the time. And for the first time I felt like his teachings applied to me 
in a totally different way. And so I was able to gather so much more from them. And then, and so it was like, we were thrust into the afternoon of our life unprepared and, and, um, and sort of in the end found that we were prepared that our dad and our mom and, and my whole life had prepared me for that moment. I just believed that I wasn't prepared. You know, mm-hmm. so the book is about that, just stories and what we learned, things that happened. You know, I, I, I don't think before my dad passed away, I don't, and I had never lost somebody that I was very close to uh, before. So I didn't think much about what happens after, after we leave our bodies. But did I believe that we die and that's it? Or did I believe that our souls go on? I, I wasn't really sure. I didn't really think about it one way or the other. So, you know, after he passed away, I just felt like my beliefs were really solidified. And there have been so many signs and miracles and really awesome things that happened um, that confirmed that for me. And also just um, this experience of growing and becoming a more compassionate person from losing somebody you love. Mm -hmm. And that's a sign of a really good teaching is your father's words that would have re-inspired you or kindled something in you later in life. You may have read them initially and they may have just, you know, what in one ear of the other, but later on you come back to it and it becomes this really nice, impactful teaching for you. And that's a good, good sign of of someone that's produced really great works and and it stands the test of time. Like if it goes beyond him passing, people are still reaching out to you, still impacted by it, still affected by it. And now you're kind of just like picking up the torch, really, so to speak. Um, So do you find that having a child now is is bringing, it's also kindling something renewed and and revitalizing you in some way and and bringing some purpose or meaning that you would I mean, I... uh... I'm married and I was married when I found out I was pregnant and we had talked about, um, he, he, my husband's seven years older than me. I'm, I'm 29, almost 30. He wanted to have children right away. And I said, you know, I want to wait a little bit. I still think that I want a little bit more time. Um, it turns out that, you know, the universe had different plans for me and we got pregnant right away without, uh, trying or really understanding how or when without going into specifics there. But, um, so I found out I was pregnant and if I'm being completely honest, I was, um, I was shocked and I was not happy. I was really quite stressed and distraught about, I felt like my life was, as I knew it was ending. I felt like I wasn't going to have anything in common with any of my friends anymore. But, you know, here in New York, 30 might not sound young to have a kid in most places, but in New York, I think it kind of is. I think people wait a little bit longer. Not that that matters, but I just, I was thinking all of these things. I, I wasn't going to, you know, I had been traveling a lot. Um, that was going to have to stop. And I just kept uh, running through my mind, all the negatives of this. And um, got to a certain point where I realized that uh, I was finding myself in a situation where I didn't really have a choice. Not not saying that people don't have a choice, but for me, it wasn't a choice. I was in, in a position to have this baby and um, and I was going to have him. And I realized that I was just going to have to surrender to this situation because otherwise I would spend this entire pregnancy miserable. And, um, and, and, you know, I think everything that happens to us happens for a reason. And I just, so I decided to surrender to the situation and say, I can't do anything about this. So I'm going to find a way to be happy about it. I'm going to stop because if you look for things that are wrong and if you look for the negatives that you're going to find them, but if you start looking for the positives and you start thinking like, well, this is a miracle. How lucky am I that I got pregnant so easily? How lucky am I that I, that a child chose me because that's what I believe that our children choose us to be their parents and that he chose me and that he 
made, came into my life as quickly as possible and um, that I'm going to get to experience a whole new kind of love and, uh, and become a, a parent and a mother for the first time and that, that this is nothing but an exciting time in my life. And so when I made that shift into just changing my thoughts, which didn't happen in an instant, it was a daily reminder when I would start going down this negative rabbit hole. It was a remind. it was a daily remembering to no, this isn't, there's nothing to be scared of. There's nothing to be upset about. It's okay to feel scared and upset, but look at all of the positives that are coming out of this. Look at all the love and the, and anyway, fast forward, um, you know, I, he was born on April 5th and it's been an explosion of love and it's been the most incredible thing. I've watched my, my husband's family come together in ways that they hadn't come together in years. I mean, it's amazing what a child can do to a family and um and and to me i mean it's just i used to consider myself a person who wasn't emotional and i find myself crying at the silliest things but i love it you know i just feel more in tune to life and um i feel i i feel wiser and um i feel that i see the meaning of life in a different way you know just through his eyes daily that's really neat and it is um it's something like the, the, the ego and the mind tends to dissect things in such a negative way as you were describing, and it's so willing to do so. It's like the default in a lot of cases, yeah. right? You really have to make that effort to turn over every stone you can to find every positive outcome that you can possibly fathom. Right. And um, it, it, often cases, those are the ones that end up being more true and more real than, than the negativity. And so it's pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah. I mean, my dad always said, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And it's it's so true in every situation it's just choosing the right thoughts it's you know uh you know you can be a host to god he used to always say you can either be a, a host to god or a hostage to your ego and it's like your ego will try and take over and tell you to be jealous to be mad to be upset but it, so you can fall victim to that or you can you can you know overcome that and you can be a host to god and just see the love and the beauty and the unfolding of life in every situation that you find yourself in. Cause I, I do think that there's something beautiful to be found in any situation that you're in. That's a beautiful way of looking at it. Yeah. A host to God. I love that, that saying. It actually yeah. reminds me of another saying of a, of a mentor of mine, Lama Surya Das, uh, who's a, a Dzogchen uh, Tibetan Buddhist Lama monk. Uh, he has one that you're a pseudopod for God. It's just very similar. You're just, everyone's just walking around with God in their different skin, their different form. Right. I feel like when you take on those the negative attributes, you're putting on like costumes and they're all just false, you know? And they, they all just like create this illusory experience that, you know, it's, it's, it is just that. It's complete, it's complete illusion and delusion. Yeah. It can paint a situation that's full of beauty into one that's, that's awful. And it, it's your choice, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I want to dial back a bit to what you were saying a second ago about your child choosing their birth. This is something I actually believe in. It's like a, an intuitive belief I have that a child chooses their birth and actually has a general idea of their circumstances up until the age of perhaps even 10, 15 years old. So is that something that you came up with yourself or is it something you kind of inherited this thought process from your father? How did you come yeah. to that conclusion or thought? Both my parents, uh, my whole life, have said to me, you know, that you, you chose us. You chose us to be your parents. And then sometimes they would say it in funny ways, you know, like, well, don't get mad at me, you know, for this because you chose me. You know, uh, my dad always used to tell the story of my sister Serena would uh, just be getting she would be 10 years old or something like that and just on top of him and saying, like, oh, you're this and you're that and you shouldn't be this way and you shouldn't be that way. And he would say, 
you know, you just got to blame yourself in this situation. And she, she said, well, why, why do I have to blame myself? And she's, he said, because you chose me to be your dad. And I guess she said back, well, I must've been in a hurry then when I made that choice because, and she was just kidding. But, um, I totally believe that our children come here, um, for us and for them and that it's, uh, that they, that they choose us. It, I just think that that's how it works. I don't think that we're just random, you know, these little people, they come in with personalities and with, um, desires and with a purpose. And I think that it's all perfectly lined up with the people that, they uh, choose to be their parents. My dad used to also refer to his, uh, he had a childhood where his father, he, he actually never met his father. His father walked out when he was just a baby. His father was an alcoholic and ended up dying years later. Um, so my dad never met him, but he spent um, a number of years looking for him and upset and um, angry and, and on and on. And, uh, he was in foster homes for a few years because his mother, she had two other sons and they couldn't, she couldn't afford to take care of them on her own. And, you know, he spent his childhood and his younger years upset about that, but he realizes now that he, she believes that he had hit the father that he had taught him self-reliance and, and taught him to be the person that he was so that he could go on and help other people and teach them self-reliance. And so, you know, something, again, it's like something that seems like a curse, it's, it's truly a blessing. And my dad actually did a film, a short film called My Greatest Teacher. And he, um, you know, has always said that, you know, he's always said since he realized this, that his father was his greatest teacher. And even though he was somebody who he hated for a number of years and um, had to get to a point where he could love him to realize that his father was his greatest teacher. But once he got to that point, you know, he was, he he gave thanks and and was grateful for the father that he had even though he didn't really have the father this man in his life at all but it it started him it 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 paved the path for him to be self-reliant and to want to help other people and yeah it takes a lot of maturity to be able to to dissect something like that your your own circumstance your own upbringing and then to be able to pull out the positive kind of like we were just speaking of a moment ago i find a lot of people don't well, they'll, they'll use their upbringing almost like an excuse um, for their, their current situation in life. And, and rather than dissecting it as your father did, it's like they just let it weigh them down constantly. And it, yeah. it just gets back to seeing that, to seeing the negative and everything. And, and that's why I really love the idea or the concept of, of picking or choosing your birth and having it being, as you said, perfectly in alignment mm -hmm. with everything else because it removes that excuse. You know, it basically says like you, you made this choice, you're here and you need to then develop some sort of foresight rather than awaiting that, uh, that hindsight, you know, yeah. rather than waiting for later in life and you have to reflect back and say, oh, it was this way to develop me to be who I am today, but to just try and make that initial switch early on and then develop that foresight and have that understanding. I think it's something a lot of people need to work on because it gets them so caught in that in the now, always in the now, thinking of, you know, just whatever situation they would have grown up with. It, it sounds great and wonderful if you grow up in like a, a multimillionaire family with, you know, rainbows everywhere and unicorns all over the place, you know, and you're like, oh, I chose this birth. Wonderful. Right. A lot of people like they'll, they get brought up in the Congo, you know, and their, and their mother's a, a prisoner and there's just crazy situations. Right. So it's to, to then have that foresight and that understanding and to be as optimistic and positive as possible to really pick it apart and 
and see that this could be developing you like like a diamond gets carved out of a big mountain stone you know it's just developing right. just that that much better um, yeah so think, um, there's actually a, that reminds me of a quote um if you shield the mountain from the windstorm you'll never see the beauty of the carvings and uh there's another one that's um the wound is where the light shines in it's like sometimes it's it's the it's the battles and the hardships of our lives that make us into the people that we want to be and like what you were saying I, I think that a victim mentality will never serve you um no matter what kind of terrible upbringing you've had or what kind of streak of bad luck you've had or whatever it is if you if you feel bad for yourself uh you're not going to grow from it you know if you're saying this is not my fault this is somebody else's fault this was done to me you know, and I know that that's, that's hard not to do. I mean, some people are just handed a really bad set of cards and, um, but it's, it's really, it's changing the way you look at things and it's, uh, it's shedding that victim mentality and, and, and every opportunity because that is where you will start to see the growth, take responsibility. Like you said, you chose this life, this birth, these parents, and, um, there's something in it for you to learn and there's a way for you to grow. I think always. Do you have any actionable advice for someone that would be that they realize this that and they want to start shedding that that victim mm -hmm. mentality? Something to the extent of do they walk more in nature? Uh, do you have any meditative practice or routine that you do that, that helps bring you into a, a positive resonance or, or anything like that that you could suggest someone apply in their daily life? Yeah, I mean, I think there's all kinds of uh, self-care routines and rituals that you could get involved in and it's really what works for you but I, but i i think the biggest thing that you should try and achieve from those self-care practices is changing your thoughts because it's this dialogue that's going on in your mind all the time that never stops and um that is your reality whether you realize it or not so if if your reality is one of poor me, this happened to me, it's not my fault. Uh, you've got to just catch those thoughts and slowly shift them. And I, and I, from what I find, our mind is like a muscle. So, you know, if you say it one time, you're not, it's not going to mean anything. But if you start to make it a practice and you work your mind out like that every day doing it, it will become a habit and it will become easy and it will become second nature. But, um, it's like working out. It's like trying to get in shape. If you just do it once, it's not really going to make much of a difference. It's a, it's a practice. It's a daily, uh, it's a daily practice. And I think one of the biggest things for getting your mind in a better place is, is meditating. And I think that, um, I, I go through phases with meditation. I'll be really good about it for a month or two months from meditating every day, 15 to 20 minutes a day. And it, and then I'll get off of that wagon and, and, you know, forget doing it for a couple months but when I'm in the practice where I'm meditating and making the time I am a calmer person I'm a more thoughtful person I'm a more intelligent person I'm more compassionate but even bigger for me um, has been I feel that I can sense my father's presence around me more I'm you know there's that um, it's almost like a like a curtain between us and the other realm and when you meditate I think that curtain becomes a little more sheer and when you don't, I think it's more like a wall, you know, mm -hmm. and that has been the most um, impactful thing for me with mm -hmm. meditating. I haven't had too much experience with people like loved ones that have passed, but I have a sense that when you do get into that space, that meditative space, that there, there's something that comes to mind. It's, it's that your hearts, the two hearts beat in union to the drum of the universe. It's, it's like you're, you're connected. You're always connected. And it's like you said, that veil, it's just that veil drops down as you're going around the world and checking 
emails and doing all this other stuff. And it's like, you forget that connection. So, but I feel that all those emails and everything else, it, it's, it's back to the illusion. You know, it is all part of that illusion, a part of this game of, of having this human experience. And we constantly forget this deep rooted connection that we have with, with source, with God, with, with love uh, that is shared and common across all humans. So uh, it's great that you can get into that space and really connect with your father in that way. Did, did he have any particular practice that he employed on a daily, weekly basis? Yeah. My dad was definitely a very ritualistic type person. So he was the type that like, if he said he was going to do something, then he was going to do it every day, no matter what, even if, you know, he had the flu. So my dad exercised every day. I mean, when he was younger, I mean, not too young, when he, up, in, up to like his 60s, he ran every single day of his life at least seven miles um, without missing a day. And a funny story, he was once flying to Australia and, or flying back, I'm not sure, but you, you skip a day, like when you fly from the East coast of the U S to Australia, you miss an entire calendar day. It goes from being like the 20th to the 21st or the 22nd. Um, so he had made a commitment that he was going to run every single day. So he ran on the airplane up and down the aisle just so that he wouldn't miss that 20, you know, August 21st, whatever it was. So that's the level of uh, commitment and um, keeping your word that my dad had in his life. But he, he meditated. I mean, my mom was, is still is the real meditator of the family. Never misses a day. Even when she, you know, she had seven children, uh, most of us little kids living in the house, she would, she found the time to meditate and she would put a sign on her door that said, mom is in meditation for 20 minutes. Do not disturb. And we knew like, unless it was blood or, you know, something really serious, we were not to disturb her for those 20 minutes. And, um, but yeah, and our dad, my dad, uh, towards the end of his life, he had a, he had a diagnosis of leukemia and, um, you know, a whole series of events that, you know, at first he really bought into this diagnosis and he was, um, very scared and, you know, buying into a lot, not, not buying into, I mean, it's real cancer is real. And, but I'm just saying for him, for his experience, he was just a lot on the fear side of it. And, um, and eventually he had a shift where he decided to just see this as a, as a miracle and, and to take control of it instead of letting it take control of him. And that led him to doing green juices and um, just alkalizing his body. He gave up gluten and he got really into um, health rituals, you know, eating, eating healthy and eating light and you know, things like that. But when he said he was going to do something like that, he was committed. So hmm. he had a lot of, and what, at what age did he pass? He was 75. 75. Okay. Yeah. And, and how old is your mother right now? She is almost, she's going to be 69 in December. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Did she get involved at all with what you do with regards to like some these new seminars courses? Yeah, we actually, yeah, we brought her in um, a couple of the videos that we did. She talked about just because um, our mom has an incredible story too. She's given birth to seven children every single time with no drugs. And as someone who just went through labor and birth, I can tell you that that is impressive because four hours in, I was begging for an epidural and, um, yeah, it was just one of the craziest and most miraculous, but also most intense and challenging days of my life. And I cannot believe she did that seven times with without drugs. But um, so, yeah, so so she told a lot of those stories and she just talked about how meditation has served her and it's the silence. And um, I, I forget who said it, but, you know, uh, 
I forget who said it, but God's one and only voice is silence is a quote that I grew up hearing a lot. And so it's like, if you want to hear God, you got to find that silence. You got to find that void because it's, you know, our, our dad used to say it's the space between the notes that makes the music. So, you know, it's the silence it's, and, um, and I have found that that is true. When I make the time for the silence in my life, even just 10 minutes, it's, it's just, it makes a huge difference. So our mom came into these videos and, and she shared her experiences with childbirth, with meditation. Um, some of her just things she learned being married to my dad for so many years. And yeah. Mm -hmm. Sounds like you would have a great perspective on a lot of different things. Totally. Where do you see this going uh, with regards to the courses um, over the next you know, few years? Do you have a bigger vision for it? Do you have something you've planned out or you're spoken to your sister about now that you've tried this first one and sort of gotten the, the gist of like, I mean, I know you, it's kind of an evolution as you go. You're obviously going to improve upon it as you go, but have you right. thought of like where it could be? Yeah, we've, um, we've, so like I said, we're working on this book and we're almost done with it and we're, sh we're shopping it around to publishers as we speak. And I think that once that comes out, we definitely want to be getting on some kind of stage, whether that be a literal stage, a virtual stage, you know, um, it seems like a lot of where this sort of work is heading is, you know, things like this podcasts and YouTube channels. And um, so we're looking into that. We would like to take the videos that we already made, put them onto a YouTube channel and then continue to produce more content. Uh, we're just, like I said, we're, we need to speak to somebody who really knows uh, this world because we just, the way we did it in the Facebook group was probably not the most efficient way and then, or the most effective, but you know, that's just how we wanted to, we just wanted to jump right in. Otherwise you can, with the way that her and I both are is like, if you can put something off by focusing on the logistics, I would tend to do that. So, and so would she. So we wanted to just not focus on the logistics and dive right in. So we could prove to ourselves that we could do this and that it would be good and that it would work. So we did that, but now I think we do need to look at some logistics and, um, it's a good yeah. start though, just to dive right in. I find a lot of people that I talk to that are interested in creating content, they'll spend too much time planning and then get stuck in that planning stage when it's, it's really like a snowball. I mean, you just kind of start it and then get a little push and see where it goes and then just continue to, you know, help it grow, right. nourish it. Um, even when I started this podcast, you know, I started doing just solo casts with me just speaking on my own. Uh, and it was kind of the same thing. I just started it, didn't really have any plan. And then I slowly evolved to now reaching out, interviewing people. And I actually have a, a, a virtual assistant that helps me with that now, but I, I message you directly just because I already follow um, the various accounts that, that you're, well, I follow your, is it your father's account or it's just someone that manages that account? Um, um, a, a gentleman, a really nice guy started that account. Uh, and when our dad passed away, it really blew up. I mean, he got like hundreds of thousands of followers in a matter yeah. of a week. So he handed it over actually to my siblings and I, my sister Sky does most of the posting on it, okay. but, but it's our account now. Uh -huh, that's really nice. So I was even just thinking, could you see that evolving into a podcast, something where you and your sister sit down and have conversations? And if you get an opportunity, have a listen to um, the Bruce Lee podcast, because Sharon and Shannon Lee, Bruce Lee's daughters, they actually run that. And it actually reminded me of something that you guys could, it's very similar, mm -hmm. um, something that you yeah. could see happening. I, I totally could see that happening. We definitely want to be in a place where we are, um, consistently doing this at least you know even if it's just once a month something where you know we're we're in it because it's easy when you're not in it to get away from it she has three kids 
I have one, I've got the restaurant, you know, we both have a lot going on. And um, it's like, but I, it's like you said, with the snowball effect, I even when I would, uh, when we were writing this book, sometimes I would sit down to write and I would not really know what I was going to write about, but I, I would just have a, you know, I'm going to write about this that happened to me today. And it would turn into 10 pages of some of my best writing because it's, sometimes it's just the act of doing it that inspires you. And the idea is sort of, you know, our dad used to talk about how um, there's a difference between motivation and inspiration. And motivation is when, there's nothing wrong with motivation, but just that when you're motivated, it's like you are trying to get a hold of an idea and you're excited and you're determined and you're going to do this. And, and that's all good. And that's a big part of life. But when you're inspired, the idea gets a hold of you. And it's like, you know, there's the, the quote that dormant forces and faculties come alive. Um, and you discover yourself to be a greater person by far when you're when you're inspired when you're in this state of you know this idea got a hold of me and no matter what it i, I can't not do it um and so i seek to be in a place of feeling inspired in my work daily and, and when it switches to the motivation that's okay because sometimes it is about motivation you got to set your alarm clock you got to be diligent you have to push yourself but my favorite is when i get into these pockets of time where i feel inspired you know in spirit and then i think that's similar with the motivation it's like that's when the veil gets a little bit thinner mm -hmm. uh, it seems like inspiration would, would correlate with uh being the host of god as we were covering earlier yeah. being a pseudopod because you're just really opening up allowing yourself you're almost just casting your sails and let the winds take you right you're just yeah just facilitating the you know whatever you can just be that best version of you and right. just what comes out of it yeah. And when that ego gets a hold of you, you're almost, you almost roll your eyes at those thoughts and yeah. those ideas because you're, you're so far removed from it, you know? And I think it's, um, I find for myself, it's, it's just a constant wave between those two ends of the spectrum and you're, you're going to have both in your life. And that's the only way to know which one you want more of, you know, and work towards. Mm -hmm. And I guess it really is in that silence. If you just like let, let the ego do its thing, let it have its, its moment, but then just get to that silence. And then you can really experience truth, you know, as opposed to all that clutter that comes before it. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's really great. I think we've covered quite a bit here. Um, did you have any closing thoughts or, or anything you wanted to share uh, with anyone that's listening to this? Um, yeah, I just, uh, I would say, you know, like we've been talking about, if you, if you have the choice to be a, a host to God or a hostage to your ego, in everything that you do, you have that choice. So just remember to be a to be a host to God as much as you can. And I think that, um, you know, uh, just a quick little story. My uh, in one of the in one of the videos that we did for our our, our course, um, my sister told a story about how she served somebody, how she uh, was of service to somebody, and how it ended up serving her in such a huge way. It's a long story, but. I was reminded when she told that story, I, you know, my, uh, I have heard so many times from my dad, also from a woman named Karen Noe, um, that I've read her books and followed her. You should be saying to the uni universe, how may I serve? Because uh, when you say to the universe, how may I serve? The universe says back, how may I serve you? Versus when you say, gimme, 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 the universe says, give me, give me, give me back. So I was reminded of that. And I had, it was something I had been doing for a while and then stopped. So when I was uh, back here in New York, I, started to say that again. Every time I would leave my apartment, I would say, okay, you know, God, universe, whatever, please give me an opportunity to serve while I'm out today. And, um, and I found that each time I was out, sometimes it would be something really small, like holding the door for somebody, 
offering a smile to somebody who's you know, maybe a homeless person or someone who looks down, um, giving a dollar to a homeless person, whatever it was. But then the other day I had a really cool opportunity to serve in it. Um, there was a woman and she was uh, screaming out, not screaming, but saying, can somebody help me? Can somebody help me? And she looked a little, I don't know. I, I understand in New York why you might keep walking because you don't know. You live in a city. I mean, you don't know if somebody might yeah, be. I visited New York and I understand the New York. Yeah. There. They do just straight line walk. Don't even look. Keep going. And I've definitely done that before. But this woman's energy and her vibe just struck me as someone who genuinely needed help. So I, I watched the people ahead of me keep walking and I, I stopped and I could tell as I got closer that she was blind. And, um, and I said, what do you need help with? And she said, I just need, I've, I've lost my way. I normally know where I am and I've gotten completely, you know, discombobulated and I'm confused. Can you just help me hail a cab so I can get back to where I live? And it was so simple. I walked out on the street and I hailed her a cab and, um, and I helped her get into it. And about three or four people were watching this go down and came up to me after and said, that was so nice of you to do that. I was just prepared to just keep walking. And, um, and it was no big deal. And I don't tell the story to like toot my own horn. I mean, I have been the person who keeps walking for sure. But my, uh, I grew up hearing from my dad that when, um, you know, when, when somebody does an act of kindness or serves somebody else, they did a study. And not only does it increase the person who's receiving the, the act of kindness, their serotonin goes up. The person who's giving the act of kindness, their serotonin gives up. And serotonin is feeling good. You know, it's, you know, it's the good feeling uh, neurotransmitters. But then even more so, people who observe a act of kindness, their levels of serotonin increase too. So it's like just one simple act of kindness affects a whole myriad of people. And, um, and it makes you feel good. And when you feel good, I think you're feeling God and you're feeling the things we've been talking about here. You're feeling inspiration. You're, and it's, it's almost like kindness is contagious because whenever I see somebody giving an act of kindness, it almost makes me think like, what have I done today to serve somebody? Probably nothing. Why I should put that on, you know, make that a priority at some point for the rest of the day. And I don't know, I just felt compelled to tell you that story and leave you no, with that. No, that's a beautiful story. I love it. And I was just about to say, uh, I bet the people watching probably experienced their own uplifting healings for the day. And, and who knows, maybe they just carried that on the next day. They started to, instead of walking by, they would go and help that individual. And right. that's really just how you start to plant those seeds and spread those seeds everywhere. Um, it, it's a, and every individual has the power to do that. I don't think that enough people realize that. I think that they don't understand what you just explained, that it is a rippling effect, that you could do this one little act. It's not isolated to this little act. And, uh, you know, the mind doesn't necessarily have to comprehend the vast, you know, ripples right. that may occur, but just understand that you know, it's, it's all in the greater good when you do those things. So right. that's a really amazing closing thought. Thank you for sharing it. Yeah. And uh, did you have anything, like any social website, anything you wanted to, to plug or share before we hop off? I'll include everything in the description of the episode as well. So people can pop down there and, and just grab the links okay. quickly. But uh, anything? Yeah, I mean, my, my Instagram handle is Sage Dyer, uh, Sage period Dyer. And my name is spelled S-A-J-E, which is confusing. Most people think it's a G. Um, I have a children's book called Goodbye Bumps, and um, and I'll definitely have a website up soon. That's one of those logistical things that I decided to put on the back burner till we just dove right in. But my sister has a website, serenadyer.com, and we typically post the same things about okay, events. Cool. Yeah, I'll check in with you uh, after you know you maybe even just let me know when you run another one of those um, 
courses when you actually have uh, sure. let me know and then I can share it and see if we can get some people interested as well on from my pages and because I really appreciate what you're doing I appreciate the message and that's why I wanted to reach out and have this conversation so thank you for taking the time oh yeah thank you again soon okay awesome thanks a lot take care you too